Today, I will be reading from Romans 12, verses 9 through 18. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Good to have you here today. I'm really thankful that you're here today. I know that Craig mentioned it earlier. Our ladies are at the women's retreat. I see a pink shirt here. We're really glad to have a few of pink shirts around. Okay. Um, I, I, I want to say how much I am, I am thankful for the women of this church. Good. I'm glad. You can do that even stronger. Um, what we miss when, when what, what, how much less this church would be without the faithful women serving in so many faithful ways. Amen? Amen. And today, I want to say thank you for the way that there were several of you who stepped up into roles that you don't normally feel, fill. And maybe even into roles that aren't comfortable for you. To cover places where our women are constantly doing wonderful ministry, and yet some of you stepped up, and by the way, some of our men stepped up into neat ways, and particularly, if you don't know, I believe this is true of all our classes except maybe uh, Joanne's class. Joanne was here to do her class, but the rest of our classes were led by our, our youth group in a, in a really neat way, and I'm really thankful for our youth getting involved in that way. So we are blessed people, amen? Um, it is so much part of our routine, right? Driving down the street. Unless, of course, you go to England, where people drive on the, shall we say it together, wrong side of the street, that we might miss how social driving is, particularly when we're in traffic kind of situations. You got to, you're, and by the way, isn't this semi-miraculous that you sit there and depend on this person beside you going 70 miles an hour, that they're going to stay there and you're going to stay here and we're all going to live to tell about it at night driving out in the country. And, and I appreciate that we're no longer just driving 55 miles an hour everywhere we go. Somebody say, some of you aren't old enough to remember the, the gas conservation effort Mostly it was an effort to spend a lot of money on new speed limit signs. No, never mind. But we all drove 55 everywhere, and I like that we're not doing that anymore. But I, I would say there are times when I'm out in the country, and that sign on a two-lane divided by a yellow strap, that sign says 75 miles an hour, and it's like, you are crazy. I'm not that faithful in what the guy on the... Uh, Let's go two ways. I'm not confident enough what I'm going to do at 75 miles an hour in my lane, let alone what that other person over there is going to do in their lane. You didn't know that Paul was writing 
to modern day life in traffic when he said, as far as it's up to you, be sure you live at peace with everyone, did you? It's amazing how the Christian life was never intended to be lived in a bubble. It was always intended to be lived for Christ in the world. You've heard Jesus say, the light, you're, you're the light of the world. The rest of that sentence is, is, if you put a light in a dark room, it stands out. There is always the contrast between where the light is and what surrounds it. You're called to live in the world in a new and different way. We are all called to live in the world in a new and different way. And when Paul summarizes what our life in Christ is to be like, the transition in this book from what do we believe about what God did through Christ and what do we believe about what God has always been doing in Israel and now in full Israel, grafted in Israel, including all peoples that will respond to Jesus in faith, he summarizes that process of moving from theology to practice, from thought to action. He calls it, be a living sacrifice. That is where chapter 12 starts. And what I need you to understand and keep in your mind, that as long as we move forward in these lessons from this second part of Romans, this, these last four chapters of Romans, nothing leaves the heading of be a living sacrifice. Yes, you might be right. When we get down to the greetings, we've kind of left what it is to be a sacrifice, but I will probably do my best to even tie the greetings to the churches to the concept that he wants us to understand that we are called to be living sacrifices. And don't lose sight of the way Paul calls us to change our lives. It isn't just a concept of living sacrifice, but it's a twofold process of not being conformed to this world, but being transformed, transformed by God's will. We want our heart to be God's heart. If the goal of following Christ is to live, be living sacrifice, then this is the process. You've got to figure out what the world wants, and you've got to resist that. And you've got to figure out what God wants, and you have to welcome it. You have to open your heart to it. It will be a process that will continue, I hope, for me, for the rest of my days. I don't ever intend to retire from this. I don't ever intend to say, I'm old enough that I don't need to worry about it anymore because what I discover is that more and more, I, don't, I haven't and I still don't fully conceive of all the ways that the world is pressing me into its mold. And it is my prayer that on the day I die, before I die, I say, God, transform me a little bit more today into more and more of what you want me to be. And let's also state up front, this is not an easy process. It's always funny to me how we expect following Christ to be sort of somehow or another just kind of unfold in front of us when the process of establishing our forgiveness and establishing the kingdom of God in, on earth in a way that has not changed for 2,000 years was not an easy process. Terry reminded us. The cross was painful. It cost Jesus everything. Why would we think that if we are to be, catch the phraseology here, living sacrifices, 
like Christ, then why would the process for us leaving behind the world and yearning for, striving for, welcoming, pursuing the transformation that God wants us to be, it would be any would be easier. It is also very interesting if we look backwards in the text and Callan kind of caught the end of what we were closed out last week and introduced the process that we the scriptures that we're going to be talking about this week. It is really interesting to me that almost the first thing that Paul says, if you're going to leave the world behind and move towards the transformation into the mind of Christ and into God's will, is you got to find your spiritual gift and get to work in it. I don't think that comes very high on the list when we think about what does God want me to do. We think about do's and don'ts. We think about lots of other things. But he says, no, 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 you know what? God can do more with your ministry than you really realize. Yes, he can bless people and bless the church. But he's got transformative work. The work of the resurrection that he wants to bring into your life by being engaged in ministry in the church and in the world. Note the closing phrases. Again, a list of seven gifts that he kind of outlines. And then, and then this beautiful section, just a few verses where, that Callan read, that idea of to be in Christ is to live out these, and I would say even, gifts. We might separate the idea of spiritual gifts and ministry and the spiritual fruit of living for Christ. But isn't it interesting how that list closes? Here's three different translations. Most of you have NIV, practice hospitality. But understand that the words there are quite emphatic. Don't just practice hospitality, pursue hospitality. How can I be hospitable to other people? And I would say, Paul's message is right here to the Roman church. To those Romans who are seeming to highlight the difference between those who were born Jews and maybe are trying to continue in observance of the law of Moses as they recognize Christ as Savior. And those who have come to know Christ not by following the law of Moses, but have come to know Christ outside of that influence. And somehow or another they're looking down on the Jews. And by the way, the Jews are looking down on the Gentiles. They're both following Christ, but they're choosing to see the other as less, at least. They may be even seeing the other as wrong. And this last phrase, make no mistakes, Paul comes up with these lists on a regular basis. You read every letter, and the list is never the same. Isn't that interesting? You, you kind of get used to hearing phrases, and you think those are the same phrases everywhere. This being hospital, hospitable phrase is one of the most unique of the phrases. In fact, I believe it's the only place that shows up in Paul's literature. It will show up again in 1 Peter. But in Rome, Paul wanted to emphasize, if we're really going to be the body of Christ, if we're really going to let God transform us into what he wants us to be, if we're really going to be living sacrifices, we have got to be people who show hospitality in the body of Christ. This closes, in my opinion, the section from this chapter 12 where Paul is referring specifically to the way we live in relationship with each other inside the body of Christ. Now, 
The specific application of that is always going to be an individual congregation. But you need to understand, and again, now we can turn to chapter 16. The body of Christ in Rome was made up of at least five home churches. And so in some level, we have to continually kind of change our minds from thinking so much about these walls and thinking more about where else the body of Christ is and how we can live in union with them in hopes of being more and more the witness of Christ. How do we practice hospitality with, let's just say, other churches of Christ in our regional area? But maybe we also need to think about how we practice hospitality with the folks up and down the street that maybe have a different name or a little bit different set of distinctives. How are we going to be hospitable Christians, by the way, with the goal of not making us look so good, but pointing ourselves toward God and what He wants to do in the world? Can somebody say amen? The next section starts in verse 14. And I've picked out a couple of phrases from what uh, is in 14 through 21 that I want to emphasize. First of all, I've already mentioned it. Of course, this is a message specifically about how we drive our cars down the street, right? No. But we have transitioned. And by the way, it is not that the language of getting along in the world, living in the world, living as living sacrifices in the world recognizing that in our interactions with people who don't know Christ, that we are figuring out ways not to be conformed, but to be transformed. The idea is that we need to seek peace with people everywhere. And yes, that means we need to be above road rage, which is to me just this most incredible manifestation of the way anger and hatred and animosity have kind of just sifted down in the most basic levels of what we do in life. People are dying because of what happens on the highway, and it's not because of a traffic accident. It's because somebody pulls out a gun and shoots them as if they are worth nothing. And that my privilege on the road is the most important thing that there can be. But that's just the simplest little example It's a painful example. It ought to raise our awareness. And we ought to ask ourselves, how are we as Christians contributing to this sense that somehow or another I can hold irate animosity at someone who disagrees with me or won't do what I want them to do? Paul says, Roman Christians, and I just want you to for a second hear this from the perspective of those who, have, who are Jewish of origin who believe in Christ. Because, if you remember, just a few short years before Paul writes this letter, the Romans kicked the Jews out of Rome. They maybe did the most other than physical persecution, killing them. They said, we don't even want you around and ran them out of town. Can you imagine the kind of deep-seated anger they have towards the people of Rome? They've come back because that's where they can carry on their livelihoods. It may be that there are family businesses there. It may be that they came back in hopes of kind of restoring some family property that's been with them for generations. Whatever reason they came back, they came back 
And Paul says, it's your job not to figure out ways you can kind of get the man, constantly kind of digging him, but it is your job to meet those Roman citizens and figure out ways that you can live at peace with them. Now, there's always going to be things in the world that, that we can't be conformed into. There are some lines that we're going to draw. And you're going to have to say no to some things that the world would pursue. But the call of God is to find how many things, without violating your commitment to Christ, you can be at peace with the world in. And maybe at its most basic level, that is the idea that I will build friendships. I want to be sure and say, we can always kind of, and, I, and I've even heard preachers who kind of preach this, who, who kind of give witness to this. Yes, you need to make friends with your neighbors so that they can be converts. I can't think of anything more false than what Christ would have us be about than the motivation of I'm going to be your friend so that I convert you. The only reason I'm being your friend is convert you. Yes, can we all say that every person that we interact with, we would love for the end result of that relationship to be coming to know Christ. Amen? But Paul doesn't say here, be at peace with them so that they can come to know. Paul says, I just want you to live at peace. And I think we need to make it a goal to build more friendships with people who don't know Christ. And there are going to be times that that's going to cause us to kind of, ooh, I don't know if I'm supposed to be hanging around this person. We're always wrestling with that idea. If I hang around the wrong person, maybe their yuck spills off on me. The good and powerful cleansing of blood of Jesus' blood in your life can overcome anything the world wants to send your direction. Amen? And so we step into that idea. If it's possible, Paul recognizes it may not always be possible. As far as it depends on you. And he recognizes that the world, the world that he lived in, and maybe the world that you live in, more and more, is going to be antagonistic towards your commitment to Jesus Christ. But as much as it is possible, and as it depends on you, you're going to live at peace. As we get to the end of the section, he affirms this powerful statement. Just, I think in many ways, in the same way he uses, be hospitable, be urgent about your hospitality, Find new ways to be hospitable to others in Christ. I think he kind of summarizes how we are to be in the world. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't let the world kind of conform you and press you into this idea. And by the way, not about morality, but the idea that I'm going to live with the same attitudes of the world. Of how can I do something to get ahead of you? How can I do something to be better than you? How can I do something to push you down so that I can get up? Don't let that be the way people outside the church see you. Instead, be a person. Jesus would say, be light and salt. Paul says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil. And he says it real quickly. 
overcome evil. How? By using the enemy's tools against him? No. He says overcome evil with God's good. Let's keep on reading and we're going to pick up in verse 18. And you can join me in Romans chapter 12. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. Boy, hear those words in a world society. Hear those words in this Jewish experience of being expelled and kind of coming slowly coming back into town. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He's quoting Deuteronomy there. No, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. You uh, may associate this with Jesus. And by the way, Jesus kind of is constantly talking about loving your enemy. We'll catch up with that in just a minute. But this is actually a quote from Proverbs. A quote that isn't intended to say we're going to hurt them by being nice to them. It might be the idea that we're going to return good for evil and maybe just maybe evil won't win. And in a powerful sort of way, we can warm them to recognizing God's good even in a world that is full of evil. Verse 21 that we've already read, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul's quoting again both from Deuteronomy, the law, and he's quoting from Proverbs or the wisdom literature. It's interesting that he incorporates both of that. But even more right here, Paul is relying heavily on what has already become traditional statements of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Luke will quote the love your enemy and he will say, do good to those who hate you. These are not easy words. This is hard. This is where the statement of love your neighbor kind of becomes the thing that, oh, I don't have to do that in this situation because they're really mean to me. And I recognize that there are relationships that so often can fall into that almost abusive kind of category. And God is not asking you to sit and, and, and continue to endure abuse. But what God is asking you to do is not return abuse for abuse. And sometimes, folks, this is hard. Because make no mistakes, the world is constantly teaching you if somebody hits you with a stick, you get a bigger stick and hit them back. Or as the movies will commonly refer to, if they bring a knife to the fight, you better bring a gun to the fight. That is the way the world teaches us. And while God has no interest in you living in an abusive relationship, God does want you to recognize that you are not living in His good by returning any abuse that you receive by being the person who escalates things with your own level of animosity. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who instead of doing good hate you. Joseph is a really powerful illustration 
of this righteous living in the world and loving your enemy. He points to some ideas that are really important for life together. He was sold into slavery. God is the one who raises him up un, you know, beyond all circumstances. to, And I think the picture is to save the world there. But the people who sold him into slavery come back to him. And they don't recognize him. And he has every and absolute ability to inflict on them the same kind of pain that they've inflicted on him. He could have them executed. He could have them thrown and become slaves. By the way, both are things that they were thinking of. One they were thinking about and one they did. Let's kill him. Oh no, let's just sell him into slavery. And he could have done that to them. But that famous quote from Genesis. And by the way, if your life has not yet revealed something like this to you, then I, I encourage you to think about the ways that you can look at some of the adversity you've gone through and possibly even some of the people who have caused that adversity and say, what you intended for evil, God has used for good. And I think that the way that that comes together God will use us among our enemies. God can use you in the world. A world that doesn't appreciate you. A world that doesn't recognize who Christ is. And will not recognize what he teaches as true and right. But in reality, even those situations can be used for ultimate good. I want to real quickly go through two sets of applications. First of all, how do we resist conformity in the world? I hope some of this can connect with you in sort of a, a practical way. First of all, and it's already been mentioned in the scripture, and if you haven't got it yet, I just want to say it out loud. If you want to resist conformity, I encourage you, include your enemy in all your prayers. By the way, not just... The prayers that you kind of set up and say, I'm going to really pray something big here. But before you get done with that prayer at the table with your family, can you include language that says, I'm going to pray for someone who's opposed to me, who I don't see eye to eye with. Secondly, I want you to look for opportunities in the smallest moments to reverse anger and disgust with mercy. You may see, you know, I, and, and there will be moments when we're going to be called to, to live into mercy, when it's big and it's going to make an impression, but I would say to you, you need to look for the littlest moments to turn that switch the other way. Because it is the preparation of the little moments that gets you to the big moments. Amen? Third, stop your evil early or any time. Have you ever caught yourself, oh, I'm about to do something that, that is hurtful to someone else. And maybe you can catch it. If you're anything like me, I'm afraid sometimes the word gets out there. The hurtful word gets out there before I can start it. But what I can promise you is... That even if you can't stop it early, if you can stop it any time in the process, God can use that to help you more and more. Amen? And sometimes, stopping your evil is going to need to be about saying, I'm sorry. 
So how do we welcome transformation? And it's that connection right there. Is repentance a large part of your response to God? Is the process of saying, I don't have it right, God. I need you to lead me into more good. I need you to lead me away from what is evil. And I recognize that I don't have it all together and I don't have all the answers. If we're going to be transformed, repentance has got to be part of our vocabulary. Amen? And by the way, repentance in common language is called, I'm sorry. Say it with me real quickly. I'm sorry. You know the really even harder word? I'm wrong. I'm not going to ask you to repeat that. I know it's too difficult. I'll let God work on that. Secondly, to be transformed, to welcome that transformation, examine closely the ways you engage in overcoming evil. What is the world trying to push you into? What, what is that person at work that you just rub up against like sandpaper all the time? God's saying, i got to overcome this evil, this struggle, this difficulty. But the next half of the sentence, am I overcoming it with good or am I just going to be more evil? I'm going to take you back to traffic real quick. Have you ever been cut off by somebody? Anybody ever been cut off by somebody in traffic? That ever happened? And boy, what's the first thing you want to do? I got an accelerator here, and I am going to figure out how to cut you off at the pass. I'm going to get around you and give you what you deserve. Anybody ever thought that? Or am I the only one? I can promise you, you don't overcome evil by doing more evil. Finally, if we're going to welcome transformation, we need to find more ways to act for peace. And sometimes that's hard. Maybe it's always hard. Because if Satan wants anything, he wants us broken. He wants us divided. He wants us angry. And Christ calls us to find ways to bring peace. Living sacrifices are called to take up the cross and follow. And not just follow anybody, but follow Jesus, who isn't telling us to pick up a cross that he hasn't already picked up. Response to that is our opportunity to say, I want to be more like him. And today you have the opportunity publicly to say, I want to be more like him, to put him on in baptism as God has this morning, to say, I want to be a part of this circle of Christians united in the idea of overcoming evil and not letting evil overcome us by finding peace anywhere we can find peace. I want to be a part of this group of people in the process of trying to figure out how to better love my enemy. Mostly, I want to be a part of a group of people who want to be living sacrifices. If we can help you in any way, here, now, please come forward during this song. If we can help you online, please use the number that's there on the screen, 979-217-3300, to, to send us your heart and how we can help. That'll start a conversation, and we look forward to participating in it. Take up your cross.
and follow me. Won't you come as we stand and sing? We camped along the hills of life.